it, it was sort of ask them to engage with other patients about their sort of diabetes. And you would think as a clinician, you know, while the treatment is different, diabetes is diabetes. You have elevated blood sugar, whether it's due to, you know, um, you know, whether it's due to resistance or, or you have absolutely no insulin production, type one, type two, it doesn't matter. Point is, I'll treat you differently, but it's the same. What you realize, and we did this to multiple women, there's to prostate cancer, and we did to breast cancer patients. There is such an allegiance to your own disease that breast cancer didn't want to talk to prostate cancer patients. What? That type one diabetics didn't want to talk, talk to type two diabetics because they were very different. And it, it just, it really sort of hits you that they really align with their particular condition at that time, right? And I, and I suspect it still is true. And as a, as a clinician, we don't think about that, but that's really sort of just individual patients sort of just, you know, um, acknowledging their individuality. So, Dr. Amol Deshpande, how do you feel about child-safe medication bottles? <laughs> wow, I guess they're good. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're a child and you really need your medication, then I guess that might be a little disappointing, but yeah. So that, that ties um, back to our topic about your amazing work, uh, medical innovation. Um, Henri Briot, uh, pardon my butchering French accent that I haven't practiced since grade 12. Um, created the child safe medication bottle and he's a Canadian. So yeah, yeah, well, I know that. now, you, you know. know, now, you know, um, well, I'll introduce you properly after that, uh, that, that hassle of a cold open, uh, Dr. Amol Deshpande well, is okay. our guest today, uh, on this podcast, MedTech Talks, part of how it's med. My name is Jeff. Uh, and today, uh, we're interviewing again, another amazing guest who's shaping the future of healthcare. So. How are you doing, Amol? I'm good. Thank you, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited. And uh, like I said, I've already learned one fact, so I feel it's already been worth the time I spent uh, hooking up with this. It's great. Awesome. So well, the, the, the place that I trace all of the podcasts back to is, you know, why someone went into the field that they're in. Uh, and you were, a little bit of a spoiler, involved in medicine. Um, so... I guess, what was your path into medicine? Like what triggered that in the trust or devotion to that career? Because it's not a small commitment. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I wish I had a really exciting narrative for you, but, <laughs> but probably like, like all my other South Asian brethren can, uh, can attest to, there was a lot of parental coaxing and, and arm twisting. I don't know if you can relate, can relate to that to or that. not, but yeah. So, so that, that's honestly what it was. Um, you know, obviously we, we don't have to do what our parents say we do. Um, but you know, I, I think there was definitely an interest in, in science. There always was. Um, but, but you know what, if, if I look back, to be honest with you, I can't think of, um, you know, some people in, in medicine have an incredible passion and desire to do whatever they do, whether it's surgery, whether it's internal medicine, whether it's research, whether it's clinical. Um, I, I honestly can't remember. I mean, I was always interested in medicine. I love the science of medicine. Um, but I don't know, and I'd enjoy talking to people. I still enjoy talking to people, but I don't know if there was ever that sort of deep, incredible passion. So I think it was just, I happened to be at a certain place at a certain time and it, it, it ticked off all the boxes and, and so off I went. So, yeah, I mean, again, I, I wish it was a, a much more exciting, uh, narrative for you, but, uh, you know, ultimately that's, that's probably reality is, 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 is how it happened. We love some honesty. 
So why did you end up focusing on chronic pain? That's uh, that's a little bit of a step beyond yeah. uh, beyond just getting into medicine. It's your fellowship of what's correct. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, it's you know what it, that actually probably leads again. No, no interesting story, but I can absolutely say with 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 no doubt that that leads off of the first comment that I had was the science of pain and chronic pain, and it's it's much more well known now than it was when I started the fellowship, but but or when I did the fellowship, but even back then. The science is, is incredibly fascinating and, and we're much further ahead because I think one of the interesting breakthroughs that we will finally have, and this is sort of after I've wound down my clinical career, is we're starting to understand the brain in much more detail, not only structurally, but functionally. And even at that time, we had some very sort of primitive concepts of how pain is generated, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the, the Descartes model with sort of the fire at the toe and the primary African neuron going to the spinal cord, hitting the brain, ah, pain. But the reality is that's not even close to what happens. But there was this huge gap between our understanding of you know, what we think is happening and what is actually happening. We were never able to probe the actual what is happening till we got into functional MRIs, for example. And now we can actually see which much more clarity what is happening and how people are responding to sensory input. So the science at that point was, was always interesting, but I think it's only become more fascinating. And what's really interesting now is that we can actually start to explain some of those findings. So it was the science that brought me there, mm -hmm. the clinical aspect. I think the challenge with chronic pain is despite the science being fascinating, we don't have a lot of great therapies. And so it often leads to very frustrated patients, most importantly, and often frustrated clinicians because you know, no matter what we what we think's going on, there are very limited tools to allow us to do what we have. So, mm. um, yeah, it, it, interesting area. We're not quite we're not quite at sort of the pinnacle of that, but it's early days yet for for chronic pain relative to a lot of the other clinical specialties. Was was that, uh, I guess, lack of knowledge as to what's going on at all a frustrating part of your career to you, and at all an impetus towards what you're now focusing on, which is medical innovation. Um, I mean, I mean, I think it was frustrating as a clinician mm -hmm. for sure with, with, without a doubt to not have the tools to properly help patients. Um, I, I think, I think the innovation piece, I don't think stemmed from that. I was just always fascinated with how people were able to push the envelope mm -hmm. of, of, you know, whether it be medicine or, or the other aspects, um, of, you know, whether it be commerce, whether it be communications. I've, I've, I've always been interested in that. And somewhere along the way, I think the business side of, of things was also in, of, of interest to me. And then my undergrad was in economics. And so I kind of got back to, to that sort of core. Um, and so when, when you put those two together, you know, actually three, I guess, if you think about it, if you put medicine, innovation and business together, you kind of naturally end up where, um, where I am now, which is sort of in the, in the venture creation space, or at least supporting those, the, those great founders. So, so I, th I think, I think I just, this is probably home for me is actually where I feel comfortable, right? Putting all those three pieces together and, uh, yeah, it just, it works. So that's probably how I ended up here. I mean, that if you, like, if you look back in retrospect, all that work in chronic pain, where there's so much research and innovation going on, as well as your, I guess, steeping in medicine, plus that background uh, in business seems like a really well tied together tale. But we talked off the air about your path towards an MBA. Tell us why you got that and any push uh, about the pushback that you might have received um, in your journey to get it. 
Yeah. So, so I mean, you, you're right. I mean, so first of all, it does seem like connected dots, but I think it's much like, you know, Steve Jobs' famous commencement peach, speech, right? I mean, we don't know where we're going, but if you look back, you can often see how the dots connect or to, to you know, some, something of, of that kind of, uh, to paraphrase them. I think that's, and, and I think that's very true for most of us. I think that's absolutely true for myself. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the MBA, I, I was, you know, I was always interested, as I said, did my undergrad in economics. I always thought I would do an MBA for whatever reason. I, I at the time, um, maybe naively and, and smartly in retrospect, I didn't go into it, thought of hospital administrator, but you know, that ends up being a babysitter for a lot of big, big children. Um, so I'm glad I didn't end up in that, but that was the, you know, that, that was the initial premise. But again, it was one of these things where you, where you get into an MBA and you realize, I mean, and again, we talked off air about it, but, but it still fascinates me even to this day. Cause I can remember, you know, I did it a while ago, but the students is, um, you get connected with a lot of fascinating individuals who we would have never had a chance to meet because medicine is just so, um, you know, it's so intensive, it's so focused, uh, everything's sort of streamlined. And again, that may be a little bit different now, but being in an academic setting, I don't think it's changed all that mm -hmm. much. Um, when I talk to the residents and stuff, it's still, you know, it's head down, straightforward, and you often miss all the other exciting stuff going on. And, and so the MBA, um, got me in touch with all that other stuff. I mean, like you guys take the internet for granted. Like we were just starting with, yeah. You're dating like, yourself. Like, as, as a colleague, like say WWW, right? I mean, and and the screeching modem oh, at the, oh, you know, 28 no, no, bot no, no, and no. the 56 bot, right? <laughs> we were, we, I man, I, I, I live that, right? And <laughs> and all those sort of the Commodore 64 and, and all, you know, but so it was fascinating. But if you were in medicine, you, you missed most of that. Most of my colleagues missed it because it just wasn't part of the curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think we're going through, I think we're going through another renaissance of, of sort of innovation and more specifically, you know, it's obviously happening in the, in the general world, but it's happening in medicine. And so, yeah, I wanted to be a part of that. And so I think the MBA gives me a different perspective, mm -hmm. um, not just from a clinicians and, and, and how do I use this tool? And this tool doesn't work very well and it sucks. And, um, as opposed to imagine what this could be. Mm -hmm. Like imagine like, cause innovation just naturally gets better over time. Mm -hmm. That's why it's innovation, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's an interesting perspective. So, yeah. So, so I think, I think the MBA gate got me in touch with that sort of the fact that other stuff happens and it can be really exciting stuff and there's ways to innovate and create new things and to help new people in, in many different ways. Yeah. I so. mean, you, you mentioned that there's, there's steps going forward right now, uh, when it comes to medical innovation, I totally agree. There are so many new startups that have come about COVID, although it's been absolutely terrible for the entire world has pushed a lot of interest towards medical technology and funding towards it as well. But in terms of actual education and raising of the new generation of physicians, clinicians overall, have you seen any changes when it comes to how we shape the minds of those who will dictate how medical innovation goes in the future? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting question. And I think, I think the answer is yes, but probably varies quite a bit um, in terms of where it's being taught. I think there are some specialties and areas that probably are much further ahead than others, mm -hmm. um, whether that's because they were already riding the innovation curve and this kind of, you know, leapfrog them a couple of years ahead mm -hmm. or whether they were forced to. So as a great example, um, I'm seeing a lot of interesting stuff happening in the surgical field um, with, you know, even just in terms of how they interact with patients, how they follow patients up in terms of post-operative outcomes. How do you, 
you know, um, how do you decrease length of stay? Like, like how do you provide some of these services so they don't have to come to relatively simple stuff that we think about, but people are actually digging into it now to understand how does that work? And I think, I think there's interest in trying to get better at that. I think there are some areas where maybe not so much, um, you know, if, if we want to call telehealth an innovation, although it's been around since the 1940s, um, and we're still using version 1.0, um, Oh, you know, if you want to call that innovation, then I think it's hit every specialty. But if you take that off the table, I think there are absolutely some specialties that are kind of left behind. Mm -hmm. um, and whether is that because they're not interested? Is it because they're not as motivated? It's, it's, it's hard to say. So I would definitely say it's helped. I would definitely say it's spurred, but I wouldn't say it's happened across the board um, in, in, in an equal way. So I think there's absolutely people who are willing to push that envelope. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and in terms of the younger generation, you know, I, I, I was still practicing. Um, during the COVID time in an academic setting, I can't say there was a lot, I, again, and this may be my very myopic perspective, but I didn't see a lot of really exciting new stuff coming out of younger individuals. And again, with all fairness, they're probably restricted to whatever their staff person is doing. Yeah. Right. So they can't go off and do something totally different. But um, yeah, I, I, I still would say the majority of the stuff was similar to what I did when I trained, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is why it's kind of a little disappointing, but absolutely. It's a, it's a very small sliver of the world. So, um, in other areas, I think they're, 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 they're absolutely punching above their, their weight, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And just one last question on this train of thought, if you could optimize the Canadian medical education system to facilitate the, the development of the Canadian medical innovation ecosystem, how would you do it? Wow. That probably a whole topic on its own. Um, <laughs> So, so, you know, I, I think I would start to, I would actually start to embed this stuff within medical school, to be honest with you. That, that's probably the easiest thing to do. Mm -hmm. Not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur, no, nor should everyone become an entrepreneur, right? Um, not everyone needs to be an investor in, in this stuff. But I think you do need to get exposed to what's going on so you can appreciate um, what goes into innovation. And this is, just to be clear, I mean, this is, this is beyond research, right? I mean, you can be a great researcher, but it doesn't necessarily mean innovation. That's great invention, but it takes a lot of work to get stuff out of the lab, yeah. if you will, and into the hands of people, right? Like that's a big, tough slog. And I think people somehow don't necessarily appreciate it all the mm -hmm. time. And so I, I think, I think embedding it into, you know, medical school, is it, is it a course? Is it a capstone project? Um, is it something where you just go spend some time? For example, with, you know, spend a month rotation, um, a compulsory rotation with an early venture startup. I mean, most academic, um, most academic medical schools are close enough that, you know, you can find some venture system going on, whether it be a physician or an engineer accessing clinicians. So I don't think it's that hard of a lift, but I think it's just not front and center. Uh, and, and, you know, and part of that is okay. You've got four years to train these students through medical school. Something's got to give. Mm -hmm. So do you, you know, kill anatomy? Do you kill some of physiology? Do you kill, like, something's got to give. So I realize it's a, it's easy to it's say, question. but I do think, but I do think it's important. I mean, I really do think it's critically important for medical students to understand that because I think that's how, that's how you get, that's how you get more people interested in it, right? You need to expose them to it. If you never see it, it never becomes real. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's probably what I would do. And, and again, it doesn't need to be six months. Just give them a month. Yeah. Just see and and those people are excited they'll stick and those people aren't that's okay they've seen what it is and they can go on their merry way and continue with the 
the usual routine. Mm -hmm. That's fine. So talking about development, you did your MBA around the turn of the century. Um, but wow, <laughs> I'm dating you hard. <laughs> what? You made me sound like a model T Ford. <laughs> the, the, I can come in any color, color that you want, as long as it's black. Um, so, exactly. um, you, you've done some amazing work recently that I'm going to talk about later. Um, but in between now and back then you, you, you've done a lot of work in health consultancy, working with some startups. What are the greatest experiences or some stories that you think have been instrumental in shaping what you're up to now or shaping your decision to get up to what you're doing now? Yeah. I, d I don't know, Jeffrey, if there's sort of one specific event that I can hone in on. I, I, I would say, you know, if, if we're going to pull on this innovation thread, I, I can tell you something that I remember that happened sort of literally a decade mm -hmm. ago, which is when I was chief medical officer of a startup before it went bust after a year and a half before the, again, I'm going to date myself, the great financial crisis or 2008 and ran out of funding. But I was uh, in grade seven. Well, there you go. Okay. So yeah, you don't remember it at all. You were still, yeah, life didn't change for you much, I bet. Um, so, so what was interesting, and I still remember this, and this is why I think getting, getting this to medical students early is I had been practicing for at least probably a decade and a half at that point. And mm -hmm. as a physician, you kind of think you, you know, most everything that's going on with what patients are thinking, what they need, all this kind of stuff. And I remember as CMO, I, I, you know, I had to do something that was very sort of unusual for me, which was go and sell this stuff at a, um, um, at a patient conference. Mm -hmm. Like a, like a diabetic association, I think is, is what it was. And just talking to patients, not because I wasn't a clinician, I was the CMO of this company, just asking them simple questions, thinking I already knew the answer and getting very different answers than what I expected. And probably the biggest one was, you know, we had asked them to, um, geez, I don't even remember what it was. It, it was sort of asked them to engage with other patients about their sort of diabetes. And you would think as a clinician, you know, while the treatment is different, diabetes is diabetes. You have elevated blood sugar, whether it's due to, you know, um, you know, whether it's due to resistance or, or you have absolutely no insulin production, type one, type two, it doesn't matter. Point is, I'll treat you differently, but it's the same. What you realize, and we did this to multiple women, there's to prostate cancer and we did this to breast cancer patients. There is such an allegiance to your own disease that breast cancer didn't want to talk to prostate cancer patients. What? that type one diabetics didn't want to talk, talk to type two diabetics because they were very different. And it, it just, it really sort of hits you that they really align with their particular condition at that time. Right. And I, and I suspect it still is true. And as a, as a clinician, we don't think about that, but that's really sort of just individual patients sort of just, you know, um, acknowledging their individuality. Right. Like I'm, I'm a type two and I have certain needs and, and that's who I am and that's who, I, and I'm happy to talk to another type two, but I don't want to go on type, type one. It's not what I'm, that's not who I am. Maybe because they're, most of them are kids. Obviously that's changing a little bit now, maybe because they use different, you know, modalities to men. But it was really fascinating because as a clinician, I had never, ever even thought that. We don't think about them as sort of individuals. We think of them as sort of, or I did, just to be very clear, um, specific conditions or diseases that needed to be treated. And so that interaction as person to person was very, very insightful for me. Yeah. And that's always sort of stayed with me as, as I've gone through, you know, whether it be medicine or whether other aspects as well. So, um, yeah. So again, I, I don't think it was, um, you know, I don't think I give you the story you want, but, but it was just 
very interesting from an innovation perspective and from just getting out of my usual domain as a clinician and just sort of talking to people. I, I think that, I mean, you didn't give me the exact answer that I was expecting uh, to, to follow on on your theme, but I think that's certainly really interesting because you're right. Uh, as you see patients day in and day out, it's very easy to see the condition and not yeah. the person. But if you're ever going to go and design a product, design a clinical trial, try to market a product, you need to think of the person, how they think, how they feel, not just about the condition itself. Even though your solution may be amazing, you need to think about the person. That's an excellent, yeah, no, and that's, and that's an excellent point, right? And, uh, you're absolutely bang on. Um, and that's why I think that kind of defines a successful entrepreneur, right? Which is knowing the end user, not knowing the end condition, but knowing the end user and what actually sort of, you know, drives their needs and satisfies them, you know, what, what, what what they want the product for at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was just eye-opening because as a, as a physician, we, you know, we don't necessarily walk the halls of the hospital as an individual. We walk it as a intern or resident or a staff, but that's a very different power dynamic. Mm -hmm. And, and so yeah, it changes if you, if you don't go in like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about, um, the, the recent amazing work that you've done in three different buckets. So your work in the venture capital investment space, your work um, as now senior director of the health sciences ecosystem at Mars Discovery District, and then your work with your own podcast, which is why your audio sounds so good. Um, so does it? Oh, it, good. I'm glad. I spent a lot of time setting it that is up. Crisp. It, it's amazing. <laughs> um, anyway, um, you, you've, you've taken all, all these projects um, or all these roles in the last like year or two. What spurred that change? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was a change. I think I was doing bits and pieces all along and just sort of, you know, cobbling together, um, you know, little things here and there, and they just happened to coalesce into a consistent theme of, of innovation supporting ventures. Um, you know, as I said, I've sort of been always playing with the venture space, either directly in it as a, as a CMO in a previous startup or investing in companies. And then, um, yeah, the podcast, you know what, I've always been fascinated with podcast and it's something I've toyed around with for a long time and just never actually pulled the trigger on it. And so finally I decided to bite the bullet and I said, well, what a, what a, as far as I'm concerned, what a great topic is to showcase great innovators, particularly in the Canadian ecosystem and show the great work they're doing. And, uh, yeah. And then, then, then the Mars job, which was not on my roadmap at all. Um, just happened to luckily show up and, um, it was one of these things where, you know what, you gotta, um, bleep or get off the toilet, so to speak. So, um, that's what I did. And, uh, yeah, so I gave up clinical and, and I joined this and, 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 you know, and I, and I think we talked about this before is, is I realized in terms of all the things that I was doing after I left the clinic was not related to healthcare, specifically the clinic or patients. It was all the other thing that I was just fascinated by, which is new technologies, ventures, business models, um, understanding, looking at pitch decks, kind of figuring out what people are doing, um, in biotech or in digital or, or even in non-healthcare related things. So it was at a certain point, if you, you know, eventually you realize if you're doing more of the stuff that you're not doing in the daytime, you should probably be in that stuff and not your daytime stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's, that's, yeah, so that, that's kind of where I ended up. But ultimately, um, I, I also enjoy it because, you know, it's, it's one of these things where one piece leverages off another 
and you know think about it as compounding that's fun like if you have that happening in your life it doesn't matter where it is that adds up really quickly like you cannot beat someone who's got a learning curve where you know people say like, well, like what do you do after work i don't consider any of it work i really don't right and i love talking to people on the podcast really interesting fascinating people i love looking at pitch decks when i'm doing you know part of my sort of venture investing i love working um, at Mars, trying to sort of get the stuff off the ground that we're trying to do there. So, you know, to me, I, I think it all, it, it's all, it's all just enjoyable. So, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the goal of most people. It's hard to get to. Um, some people get there early, some people get there late. Unfortunately, some people never get there. So yeah, mm -hmm. it's to, to me, it's just cobbled over time. So you've given a high level, um, summary of all the things that you're doing. But one theme that I've noticed through it all, whether or not it's the podcast, your role as senior director, or your role with, uh, in the VC or angel space, a lot of it seems supportive. Why, why is yeah. that theme there? Was it intentional? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it is, I mean, in my heart of hearts, would I like to be like, you know, like an Elon Musk or, or, or some other great entrepreneur? Sure. But, but the reality is I, I, I've always been good at and enjoyed a supporting role, right? I mean. I did it as an academic clinician. I could have worked in a peripheral community clinic, just sort of hammering away on my own, but I didn't. Um, you know, the academic clinics, they have their upsides, but they certainly have their downsides. But to me, that was well worth it because, um, again, getting to interact with medical students, with interns, with residents, I really enjoy that. I mean, both, you know, it's a two-way learning street. I mean, it's not just me teaching them, but I'm learning lots of new stuff from them. They're forcing me to really sort of dig in deep and ask questions that I haven't even thought about for a long period of time to do, you know, show certain parts of the physical examination that I take for granted. I really enjoyed that interaction. And so as a supporting role, you get to, you get to do that in spades in, in, in venture again, whether it's even reviewing a desk deck rather, even if you're not investing and this is always a challenge, but you get to give great feedback to founders about why didn't, you know, why didn't this resonate? Like what's, what's going on? So they get a feedback loop where they can sort of incorporate the, incorporate that if they want to. And so they get better for the next pitch, right? You can do that as, at Mars as well. When you're sort of talking to ventures, or when you're talking to other team members, why are they, th why am I thinking what I'm thinking? I mean, one of the interesting concepts is I do have a clinical background, so I don't practice medicine, but they can appreciate now in the, in the context of health sciences, it's a different opinion. I have a different stance or a different viewpoint. I don't just don't look at this straight as technology and business. There's a clinical element that kind of comes to it and like, oh, I never thought about that. Well, that's because you haven't worked in that area. It's not because you just, you know, you're dumb or anything. It's just you don't have that experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think, I think to me, the supporting role is, you know, I'm, I'm like a supporting actor, I guess, is, is I, I have my role and, and I'm quite pleased with it and it works for me. So, and uh, yeah, I guess the last thing is, is. It's tough to be a founder, right? I mean, like I, I feel for all those founders. I, I really, I mean, I support, it is, right? Um, it's, it, you know, it takes, it takes guts to do it, number one. Um, it takes guts to stay in it, number two. And a lot of times, you know, while, while we read the bylines of the ones that succeed, there's a ton that don't. So I feel for the ones that don't make it out the other end. So it is absolutely a tough gig. And I don't think people appreciate that enough right? All the work that they have to do. So, mm -hmm. so supporting role, I, I think it's an important role. So I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy with mm -hmm. it. All right. Well, I'm going to first take a little bit of a dive into your work in the angel and VC space. So correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but you're a partner at AIOT as well as the co-chair of Halo Health. 
Um, so in those, like, how did you find those roles and how do those roles differ for you? Or are they the same or are they different ways to approach the same problem that you're trying to solve? So, I, I mean, I mean, ultimately, so they're different roles, but ultimately they're, they're trying to achieve the same thing, mm -hmm. which is to support great, you know, healthcare ventures through investments and through capital allocation. Um, how did I find them? Um, that's an interesting story. Um, so believe it or not, the, um, the AIOT where I'm a, I'm a, I'm a venture partner there I actually found them through Twitter. <laughs> so Twitter? yeah, I, I, you know, Twitter, believe it or not, that's, that's yeah. And that was only about 18 months ago. So, um, so social media does Thanks, work. Jack yeah. We just got into, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not quite that level yet, but let's hope. Um, yeah, we just got into this, you know, a bit of a thread and then I, he made an interesting comment and he commented on one of my comments and I just wanted to reach out and no idea who this was. And he said he was willing to chat. I'm like, okay, that's a bit unusual right there. Like, you know, other than just a tweet, he's like, well, to give me phone number. I can't remember where they DM me and picked him up. And there's another physician on the other end. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And he was talking about some ventures. So I thought that was interesting and thinking he's in California or New York. And he's like, oh, I'm in Calgary. Oh, okay. So he ended up being in Calgary and, uh, he happens to be in an area where I, you know, we have a lot of sort of mutual acquaintances and we never cross paths at all. So, um, we got along and, uh, so that's AIOT health and we're still, you know, we're, we're still working together and, and, uh, you know, doing due diligence on, on some really interesting deal flow. So that, that's that. And then at the same time I had, uh, contacted Halo Health in and around the same time, sort of, so I thought it was interesting, angel network of physicians. Um, from coast to coast. So it, those are kind of the people I want to hang around with. I'd contacted them. And uh, after I contacted this guy from the IoT, he also mentioned it, which was they were like literally a week apart, said, hey, you should contact Halo Health. I was like, well, I just did. Um, and so I got I got in touch with Halo Health and I really liked the, what they've done there. I love the group of people um, that I'm working with and uh, spent some time there. And now uh, I guess I, I was Russian volunteered to be a co-chair, which, which I truly enjoy because I think there's lots of great work that we could be doing and and i love what i love about that is it's it's physicians on the front line mm -hmm. right like these aren't these aren't physicians who are now sort of given up clinic like myself and are in this all the time these are frontline clinicians family docs neurologists radiologists ob guy and kind of like like the whole full swath who i think just realize there's more to medicine than just day in and day out clinics right and, and some are founders some are founders and investors. Some are just investors. So you get you get a really diverse group, um, and so really, really, um, very jazzed about about Halo Health for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think there's uh, the best is yet to come. So let's see. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmed.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time, bye-bye.